0: And there it was. And it was, it was, uh, I mean, I'm tearing up now about it because we were a family all together, Don and Mike and Annika and Nathan and just everybody for an entire year. I mean, we spent more time with them than our families. It was a long, hard process.
1: Hi, and welcome to the Business Owner Transition with Mike Quinton. We provide you content to help you lead your business on your terms. Welcome to our show. Today, we will present part two of our two-part interview with a former owner of DoMyOwn.com. DoMyOwn.com is the market leader in do-it-yourself pest control and is headquartered here in Atlanta. We continue our story of the journey from engaging the advisors of the Business Owner Transition Academy to the closing table and watching that money hit the accounts. Please welcome again, Michael Gosling of Do My Own.com and Don Bravaldo of Bravaldo Capital Advisors. We pick up our conversation discussing the sales process. So now that we, we so now we go into that, uh, that IOI, LOI, actually sele- selection process. And uh, now this is where we're starting to see both strategic and financial buyers in the mix. As you guys were evaluating and, and we were all sitting there looking at these various options, what were some of the things that were important to you, Michael, as you were looking at, at these potential buyers?
0: Well, I will say that was a cool part of the process because that, um, you know, just speaking about the emotions of, of the, the whole ride, you know, Um, it was really cool to see how many parties were interested in us, right? That validates what we thought that there would be interest that we would have a lot of interest. Um, And so, you know, that was, that was kind of a cool experience to see those IOIs come back and see the people that were really interested, you know, that that kind of validated um, the success of our company. Um, And you know, it was really cool. Every week, Don's team sends out all of the interactions and everyone, all of the feedback that they've gotten from all of the the uh, companies that the teaser went through, both strategic and the financial private equity firms. And so, you know, I, I can't remember exactly how long that part of the process was, I, or when that IOI deadline was, but it was it was cool every week to kind of go through that to kind of whittle the list down and 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 the people that were not interested that in the beginning, it was also interesting to see who ended up not being interested And a lot of it was because of timing, you know, Home Depot was one of the companies we approached and they were very interested, but we're doing some other in the middle of some other M and a things and the timing wasn't right. So there were some things that were kind of disappointing, like, Oh, we really thought Home Depot would be interested because of this. Um, but at the same time, there's just as many companies that maybe you didn't think would be interested that are. So that was kind of a fun part of the process. Um, and then, and then at that point, you're kind of really getting into it and you're really getting down to brass tacks and, and, and the meat of the process. And so th- that's when, that's when all the hard work started to pay off, right? Cause that's when those guys are starting to ask for information and, and, and really, Peaking their interest and so that part of the process for me and I think for Philip was really cool. It was really it, it was fun and it was just great to hear that you know what we built a great company and this proves it. These are big time companies who are interested in us and as a business owner who's, you know especially one that started from a basement from nothing that that
2: was a really rewarding part of the process. A couple of things real quick in terms of you know, that interaction process, let's just say it's the management presentations. You know, for me, that's a really exciting time because you really get a flavor of the culture of the buyer, right? You know, whether it's a a public company where, you know, most of of the executive team are all ex-military and, you know, ex, you know, big six accounting and, or you know, if it's you know, folks that, that come from a lawn and garden and ag ag, ag background and are, are pretty laid back, or even even um, even from the pr- prospect of private equity, right? I mean, I think it might have been surprising that, that all that not all private equity groups live up to you know the New York slickster trying to to steal your company for nothing, right? I mean, mm-hmm. maybe a couple comments on that.
0: Yeah, um, you know, I, I think. I- I think private equity, you know, for us, we all, we had always thought going into the process and from what we have heard, the strategic would be, you know, maybe the be able to get the best offer from a strategic versus private equity. And and that was true through the process. But at the same time, we knew that private equity is someone that could come in and help triple your business in a very short amount of time. and could possibly have a, a better exit down the road. So that's, that's, that's a big consideration through the whole process. Uh, and we were fortunate to talk to quite a few private equity groups had, had a lot of interest from a lot of private equity groups. Uh, the ones that we whittled it down to, um, you know, we did have the ones that you hear often about. I mean, they are very financially focused. Uh, they're the ones that are really just gonna, they're going to look under every single nook and cranny and find everything that, that they can on, on, where, where all can we improve this company? And they find it, and they do a great job of it. But we did meet some really just, you know, kind of laid back uh, guys that their culture would fit. And my biggest fear with private equity was that they run lean and mean, they're going to do a lot of things. And their number one goal is to, to increase that revenue, increase the profit and flip it. And so for us, that that brought a an opportunity down the road to possibly exit for more but it also brought some uncertainty for our employees for what kind of investment would be put in the company and would 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 they execute the growth plan that we wanted versus just them capitalizing on the points that they wanted to capitalize on um but it was cool to see that just like any other business just like what don said with the strategics there's you've got the, the the teams that come in from a strategic that are just like private equity. And and that's, that's all they're focused on. And then you've got the laid back and more, you know, and that's kind of more our culture at our company and the strategic that we ended up going with was one that matched our culture. And that was really important for us, but it did exist in both places. I mean, there was some private equity. We would have been very comfortable moving forward with and doing a deal with uh, two in particular uh, that I could I could have seen us doing a deal with and been uh, really aligned on what the goals were.
2: And maybe taking a step back, I do want to mention just one basic fundamental difference usually between a strategic industry buyer and, and private equity. I mean, private equity typically their playbook is to have owner founders or or you know family members continue to hold on to equity and and remain in ownership alongside private equity. Of course, they would buy. Um, majority control of the business and put a bunch of capital into the business and relieve the owners from any any debt burdens or having to put any more capital in. And as Michael said, grow the business so that there could be a second bite of the apple down the road. Well, there's still a lot of risk in that. And when, when you have a, a company that is very desirable, to all the target groups, and you have uh, public companies that are, are willing to fight over you and bid things up. You you end up with a uh, probably a very very strong uh, cash type offer that may may include some stock, but a lot of cash. And so then you start to have some really really, you know, it it becomes maybe an easier decision when when you when you kind of think about risk.
1: Well, so it was, you know, from my perspective during this period. um, First, we're, you know, we haven't done management presentations yet. We're starting to get a bunch of information in, and um, uh, we're also starting to see various uh, types of terms coming in. Right? Uh, Some people saying, "Oh, we're going to make an all cash offer," and and giving us a range of valuation. Others that were uh, using multiple different types of um, of methodologies to try to reach the same value but with significantly different terms that, that we had to evaluate what the risk was of an offer that might be the highest. But the terms of the deal may put a lot more risk into the ultimate um, um, realization of that capital. So uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about some of the different types of terms, Don, that you were, that you were uh, uh, advising Michael on?
2: Sure. Well, we had rolled equity, uh, which is, again, you know, probably one of the most common pieces of, of a private equity offer. Again, the owners would continue to own a piece of the business. Um, they would technically be able to do that on a tax-free basis. They wouldn't have to pay tax on, on the amount of equity that they continued to hold. Um, there were earnouts, right that were tied to performance of the business. Um, there was uh, stock um, in some cases with with public companies. There was stock that was tied to performance and employment. Um, there was maybe stock that that wasn't as as tied to employment. Um, and quite frankly, there there could be uh, you know, I don't know that we necessarily had any seller financing in this one, uh, but we have, we do encounter it in in some industries as well. So many different forms of consideration uh, from the actual payment for the business to, to the employment compensation, post-closing, all of that stuff needed to be evaluated. But quite frankly, you know, starting at the beginning with some of these private equity groups, and we know a lot of them, and, and, and know them backwards and forwards but there's always a few that are new to us that we haven't interacted with and you know we're busy scrambling around trying to check you know backgrounds and, and get intel from you know others in, in the investment banking industry that work with them and um, if I recall correctly there there was actually a private equity group that, that had a, a much higher valuation but there was a lot of question about you know would these people really really be able to follow through uh, with the value that they were talking about and considering that they were a new fund and and quite frankly, hadn't even put together the fund. They were real people that had been at at other private equity groups, but hadn't institutionalized a fund yet. Um, The risk profile was really, really high with them.
0: And this is where it pays to have a great team around you to be able to vet all this information coming back and all the different scenarios and where the risks were and, and, and what, maybe didn't seem as risky you know don's team really helped us evaluate all of those you know we did we had the highest off we had a a really great offer from a private equity group but one that was not established didn't have a history yet they had history history individually in private equity but like don said hasn't raised a fund it would have been pretty easy to say oh well i mean that's that that's so good let's let's just let's try it i mean you know let's let's just go after that but um, that didn't fit the profile that was important to Philip and I, and that was to you know the culture wasn't necessarily the right fit, um, and also the, with all those unknowns, that didn't check the box of we feel really confident that our employees and everyone else would be taken care of down the road. So um, it was it was you know again it's, I'll go back to having a great team of people around you to help you vet all of that information coming back.
1: What did you think was the greatest value driver? Uh, in the eyes of of these various buyers that were out there, so um, again, you know, cash flow, uh, management team, growth plan, potential uh, operations, and how you your, you know your physical plant capability to fit, to um, uh, to get the product out the door, uh, financials, and then lastly the uh, uh, customer base. But Michael, what would you think was most attractive? The biggest value prop or value driver to those various different people that are interested in you.
0: Yeah. And I, and I think it's going to be different for the different types of buyers. And that's why it's really important to make sure you don't just do one thing really well, because you're going to maybe get in a situation where you're going to have a lot less interest. And the whole goal is to get a lot of people interested in getting a bidding, getting in a bidding war at the end, right? I think for a lot of strategics, the number one value driver that they saw for us was the technology and our infrastructure in the warehouse and that we built in our company. Really the e-commerce platform and the technology in the warehouse. So um, I, I would, I would kind of translate that to whatever types of businesses, you know, you guys may be in that. Whatever you do, do, you know. obviously you want to do it really well, but you want to make sure that your processes and all of the ways that you execute business are done very well and really at best in class. And that's what the buyers saw when they walked through our warehouse was a best in class technology platform that uh, really was on par with an Amazon type warehouse as far as pick, pack and ship. And so for us, the strategics, um, I think that was the number one value driver. Um, I think right behind that, it would be the management team and just the, the, the structure of the company and that you can show we, we have employees that have stayed here a long time. We have a great, uh, a great culture, uh, our employees, there's not a fear of them leaving because of how we take care of them. And the management team can run this business, whether Philip and I are here or not. I think that was a huge value driver. On private equity, I think that, you know, for us being the leader in our space, I think they were, you know, I think a lot of private equity would have been interested had we had our own proprietary kind of technology in the warehouse or not, because we were the leader in our space, because we had a great management team. And so I think those things were really important for them. Uh, we had a strong financial record of growth over this uh, last 16 years, and so that was really important. But I, I would say the number one, if I had to choose one, it would just be that we invested in our company, and it showed in the in our technology platform.
1: Yeah, I think that was uh, that was a key. And so as you uh, you you realized what all these what was important to different people, and did you shape your management presentations to try to fit what you knew would be the key value drivers for each of these different type of buyers?
0: We we did some of that. And that's really, you know, that's really having that great team around you and Don's knowledge and, and and experience of his team going through this process. Um, We definitely, um, there were different sections of our presentation And and of course, in the presentation, you're going to hit all of these things. You're going to hit our management team. Our employees have been with us a long time, our technology, our track record of growth and how we're poised to grow down the road. I mean that in a nutshell was kind of our management presentation, but you know, the buyer that we ultimately went with um, was a strategic public company and they're really big in the consumer grade pest control and lawn and garden space. So, when you talk about the growth plan and how you can fit within an umbrella of a much larger company, then that was really the section that we really changed a lot based on who we were talking to. And that's really important because, you know, at, at the same time you want the best offer, but at, at the same time, you know, they're trying to get you for the best price but they have to justify that to a lot of other people, a lot of board members and and different uh, fast executive uh, teams in the company. And so what you're doing is really telling them, this is how we can provide value for your company. And so that part was different based on who we were presenting to um, how we could fit within their company. Um, And so we had another public company that was very interested in us. That was more on the professional side and didn't sell the consumer grade stuff. They were like us, but they were really big in the lawn and garden space. And, and we're really, the, we're the largest in pest control. Uh, lawn and gar- professional lawn and garden products is our fastest growing segment, but we're not the largest out there. And so, um, you know, our strategy for them was saying, hey, we, we're the largest in professional pest. That's a perfect marriage for someone who's one of the largest on the professional lawn and garden side as a distributor. And so we changed the, our presentation based on that, um, and so that, that that was key. And Don's team was incredible, helping us refine that process, and um, you know making that first impression the best it can be, and that's that's really important.
1: Well, your team did a magnificent job uh, preparing, and and kind of it was fun going through that coaching process, and 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 watching uh, everybody have to do their part. Uh, when we got into the actual presentations and we did this, uh Don and I did a a webinar last week with Karen and talking about uh a fractional CFO. And Karen I thought did a magnificent job as being able to answer questions on the fly that were highly technical from the private equity guys and from the pub or the public company guys. So, um, what were your thoughts on her ability to kind of go toe to toe with uh, with those folks?
0: Oh, I, I was. Every time she was asked a question I was like, I'm so thankful she's here. <laughs> I'm so thankful I took Don's advice to have her here because I could not have answered those questions. Um she did a magnificent job and and hey, taking a company that's a pretty decent size lower market company from cash to accrual took it took a while to kind of refine that in month in closing process and and she worked long and hard and, and um uh and it was no easy feat doing that. And a lot of that has to do with just our systems and, and the amount of orders that we take in. I mean, we, we ship over a million orders a year to, to consumers and having to, you know, line all that stuff up with our accounting software. Um, and, and so a lot of questions that, uh, especially the private equity asked, were questions that I had, had you know, just didn't have the, the experience or knowledge to be able to answer. So not only are you bringing this team of people in around you to help you through this process, but they're in the trenches with you during these management presentations. And that was a huge asset to have Karen there, um, to have the, the fractional uh, marketing uh, officer there to, to help us show that, hey, we're really good at digital, but there's an opportunity to do traditional marketing. So we brought, you know, Don, Don got us lined up with someone who- uh,
1: David Grosher.
0: Uh, yeah, David Grocer, who who was really proficient in in a, a traditional marketing space, and helped us kind of round out our presentation. So you know, again, it's all about the team around you, and the other benefit as a business owner of that is you're not the one answering
2: all of the questions. I would say traditionally too, you know, that go back about five or ten years ago. And, and fractional management really didn't exist. So having the ability to plug in a CFO, you know, really was, was hard. It, you really had to go hire someone, and hiring someone for, you know, a six-month role was really hard to do. But, but now it exists, and I would say buyers, it's, it's more commonly accepted by buyers to understand that, that perhaps in that CFO role there's going to be kind of a hired gun in there. Um, it still helps too when, when you have somebody that is, has been on the team for a long time. Uh, but what I've experienced with a lot of private businesses, especially family businesses where there's multi-generations, there's usually probably somebody in that spot, either controller or CFO who's underqualified, really never been through an m a process before. And so having somebody with the ex- experience that Karen has and the ability, um, from a professional standpoint to to stand in a room full of really, really, really smart people and articulate on the fly a lot of technical financial questions and accounting questions.
0: Um, Yeah. I wish I would have known five years earlier that a fractional CFO was a thing brought one in a lot earlier. I had no idea and it it really blew me away on, on, um, on what she did with our financials as far as cleaning them up, getting them, Right to be able to present in the format that everyone expects a well-run company to, you know, the format for that to be in, uh, was really important. And again, just added to the uh, validity of of how we run our company, and 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 really made that first impression amazing for the for the buyers
1: yeah that goes to that that value driver the optimized financial statements right so she did a great job and and in this group and i see michael bull nodding his head there are uh, he's he's 100 percent on board with you know in the cpa world um but it on this call you know we've got several people that are mid-stage growth companies that are are you know 10 years out from selling or uh, and then we have a couple that are are you know within a year or two years from from selling their companies so Uh, I think your advice is uh, optimize your financial statements early and get somebody involved that can do that.
0: You cannot start too early. I don't think that, I mean, knowing what I know now, I mean, it's, even if, if, if I was five or 10 years down the road, I would, I I would just, I would start as soon as possible getting the right people around you um, who can, who can make an impact there. And, 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 you know, I, I would have been more knowledgeable had I done it sooner. Had I, had we started with Karen two years before and I would have been able to maybe answer some of those questions, but it was, you know, the fact that I would have not been able to, and that she was there to do that was, you know, again, just a testament to having a great team around you and, and the recommendations from uh, Mike and Dawn on who those people should be.
1: So uh, I'm going to make one last comment about this phase and then we're going to move on. And that is that, um, Michael's vice president did an amazing job of uh, he carried probably what do you think Michael 60 70% of the presentation um and and really demonstrated that he could run the company and and that if if we had selected somebody that that didn't need Michael and Philip to be there um or didn't wasn't going to incentive him to be there that uh that he could run the company. Jeremiah could run the company, and Michael and Philip could be gone if they wanted to be. So that was critical, I thought, Michael, didn't you?
0: Yes, I, I did. And, and because we wanted the option, you know, we didn't know who at the end of the day was going to be the buyer, but we wanted to set forth, you know, we wanted to put forth uh, confidence that there, that Philip and I could could have an option and that this company can still grow and still continue its growth plan if Philip and I decide to exit or if we don't come to terms with the buyer on us staying that they still have just as much full confidence that do my own is going to be able to, to stay in place, continue to hit its growth. Um, and, you know, Hey, at, at the end of the day, Jeremiah is not someone you just find every day. I mean, we were really lucky and blessed to have him. I think everyone who's interacted with him just comes away just very impressed. And so that, that, but, there is no doubt that that was a huge part of the attraction for us was again, a great management team. So, you know, if I was, if I was five or 10 years out from exiting another one of my focuses would be on grooming my management team and grooming, maybe if it's, if you think that you want to exit completely is making sure you have a number two and even maybe a number three who will leave that buyer confident that, you know, the company's in good hands, whether you are there or not.
1: Well, I, I, I love it when you, when you hit all of my, I'm good checklist stuff. So the M for (laughs) institutionalizing management, thank you for that. Um, all right. So now we pick a horse. Okay. And we go into negotiation time and the legal team now is is doing their thing, Mike and and Jonathan and Don Rivaldo and his team are, are pulling what little hair they have left out of their heads. uh, And, and working through because, because we're getting thrown curveballs, right? The, the buyers coming back with stuff that that, you know, we know to expect curveballs, but maybe not that we expected. So um, talk about how that felt going through that that negotiation phase.
0: Yeah. You know, after the management meetings and and you pick that, you pick the horse, you're going to, you're going to ride into the sunset with hopefully, uh, you know, I, all, all I would say right now is, is buckle up because that's really where it gets, it gets fun. It gets stressful. It gets scary at times. It gets, um, you know, at times you, you have little wins and, and little losses kind of throughout that process. Um, and this is also where the buyer sometimes shows, you know, this is, this is one thing I'll say too, just right now, while it's on my mind, you know, we felt that the horse we chose central garden and pet, which we ultimately transacted with, we felt that their culture really matched our culture. We felt that we strategically were a good fit for them. There are a lot of things that, that told us that this was the right person for us to choose. They had a great offer for us, but when when you're dealing with a company's M&A department, you know, we had to separate and Don helped us do this, that, that look, this is their job. Their job is to push back. Their job is to, is this is what they're paid to do. And so, you know, it doesn't always reflect. And I can, I can say that now in confidence because we're seven, six, seven months into uh, being a part of central garden and pet. And it is, really been a great experience and they have stayed true to everything that the managers, you know, that the management came in and said from, from central. Um, but the MA team is a different story. And so it, it is important to kind of separate that but w- when you're dealing with the MA team, it doesn't necessarily mean how you're going to be treated from the normal everyday people that run that company. And so there were a lot of times where Philip and I had to say, guys, you know, are they is this what it's going to be like working with them? Are they going to say one thing and 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 go back and 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 come back with something completely different? Because that's kind of what we experienced, um, through this process. I mean, they they they, they put forward a great cash offer and and got in the running as the main horse, but then they came back and they tried to change the deal up a little bit, a little less cash. We we want to do an earn out. Well, you've never talked about an earn out before. So that's where I got Harry. That's where I say, buckle up. That's where, but that's where Don's team does their job and, and handles the negotiating and, and for us being in a situation going into it, where this is not something we have to do. It's gotta be the right number. It's gotta be the right structure. It's gotta be the right uh culture. And so that's where we were able to say, look guys, that's not what we agreed to before and you're not going to push this around and we're not going to agree to it now. And so in the very end, through a lot of ups and downs, um, you know, it eventually came down to Philip and I saying, you guys aren't the only interested party in us and we have other interested parties and that we're, we're, we're not going to take that, you know, take that structure. We're not okay with that. And so we're going to go talk to someone else if that's where you guys are. And so, um, but again, you know, that's their M&A team. It would have been easy for us to say that, you know, this is too difficult and we we, we definitely don't want to move forward with the actual company, but the people have been great. And so that's kind of where I just say, you got to realize that that's not necessarily indicative of what the rest of the company is like on a day-to-day basis and who you're going to be dealing with.
2: We just add a couple of quick things. Uh, number one, the maximum leverage that you have in the sales process as owners and, and in professionals representing the selling company is at the LOI stage, right? You've got all of this interest in the, the company. You've got you know a number of bids. You've got plenty of interest, and you sign that letter of intent. That's the maximum leverage as a seller has, and from there, it begins to erode all the way to closing. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, a good investment bank M&A advisory team does is keep those backup buyers interested. And in almost every instance, there, there has to be a little bit of, of a carrot and a little bit of a stick involved in, in keeping um, that professional m and team honest Um, and, you know, quite frankly, sometimes, you know, you, you win a a few battles and you lose a few battles, but at the end of the day, you, you win the war. And I think that's, that's ultimately testament to, to Michael and Philip keeping their cool during some really, 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 really tough, um, instances in that negotiation period during due diligence where, you know, the legal's flying around and documents are here and there. And, um, as he said you know if you if you're going to get that premium out of a public company you're also going to have to deal with the bureaucracy and and you know one side of the company doing one thing and the other doing the other um, but he stayed the course and uh and you know, really proud of him uh, yeah. for having
1: yeah I, I i from my perspective i thought that uh that don you did a great job handling some um difficult things that came up Right? And uh, it, uh, we had some interesting meetings together as uh, as you were presenting options for Michael and Philip and how they might handle uh, or respond to certain things that, that went on. And uh, I thought that Michael and Philip did a really good job of parsing the information and largely I would attribute that to them actually being ready to enter that portion of the of the negotiation, right. Um, knowing that it's going to be hard and it's going to be going to be contentious. And, and remember, what you said about the LOI is really important, is that you have a lot of, a lot of um, negotiating strength going into that. Um, and what we always tell people, and you have heard me say this before, is that you want to go into the LOI at the top of your valuation range, and then you want to defend that valuation through due diligence to the closing table right And so I think Michael saw that right It's uh, went in with that that all cash offer and now it was time to defend that position and use Don and his team to defend the position until we got to the actual closing table. Would you agree with that Michael?
0: Yeah I, I would hundred percent and and that's really what it is. I mean that, that's a great explanation of that process Mike is is, you know you're defending it it's just like buying a house you make the offer but then you're getting the inspector in there and you're trying to to find ways to possibly pay less for that and so and that's what due diligence is and so it's 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 really great to be able to have had a team around us who prepared us well for that process and the normal like easy things that a company would would kind of look for or them, they might find in smaller companies to be able to get that price down was a, a lot harder for them in the due diligence process because we had a great suit of armor on and it was actually quite hard for them to pierce. Uh, in the end, they, they, you know, I don't, I don't want to speak badly of central garden pet because they're, they're a great company and we're happy to be with them. But again, the M and a people are different. And so, you know, in the end, I think they, they were kind of grasping at straws because they couldn't find a lot of places to ding us and they couldn't find a lot of reasons. And that, again, is because of the preparation and the buy-in that Philip and I had to get the company in order and our financials and, and be, then be able to ask for things. And i say, well, here it is. It's right, you know, very quickly and not be fumbling around and, and trying to produce something. Um, and so they, uh, you know, we got to a place where they there was just kind of going back on what what they said in the LOI and trying to push us around a little bit. I mean, to to be honest, and um, again, having Don and Mike there to, um, to walk us through that and to talk frankly with us about what the options were. And when I was thinking that the deal was blown up, there were about three different times during that due diligence process. And the last time was, the last time was like the week of closing. Um, you know, it, it was, uh, and this was kind of all around Christmas time. And we were just praying that this deal would close by the end of the year or before the holiday so we could actually enjoy Christmas. And, uh, thank God it did just, just that weekend before. But, um, there were, there were three specific times, uh, I know that I called Mike and said this. This is crazy. They thought us off a ledge. At, at the end at the end of the day, um, it, it was evident that Central really wanted us and that we were an important piece to them. So um, you know they, they, we, we both came to terms on a, on a deal that was that was good for both of us and and uh, Philip and I just couldn't be more grateful and, and just really feel we had a great win.
1: There's other things going on in that last couple of weeks too you are now talking with nathan you're talking with annika you're you are are getting to the finish line there and having to make sure that you've got your personal stuff back in place again and for you guys a uh, charitable strategy that you could execute
0: yeah uh, on top of the deal you want to make sure that if you know, when it does transact, if it transacts that you have all the pieces in place and Brightworks team was just fantastic through the whole process and um, their wealth of knowledge of, um, of different strategies and different ways to capitalize on what your goals are for my wife and I. It was real important that we, uh, set a portion aside for charity. We, we, we charitable giving. We wanted to, uh, it's important for us that our kids, Understand the importance of giving and we wanted to kind of have this pot to the side of um, Something that would grow and and allow our kids and their kids to give down the road. And so that was really important and so um, uh, Nathan implemented some strategies that um, Were really crucial for us that not only provided some some tax benefit, but also uh, Kind of checking that box of that goal for us. So um, there's a lot happening in that last week, not only with the deal, but also personally there were some things that have to be done at certain times before the closing and within a certain window. So there was a lot of moving parts. And, and again, this is where I'll credit you, Mike, being the quarterback and kind of being that person in the middle, helping to uh, filter at what's most important and keeping the focus there. Um, but uh, you know, the, the, we, we also in addition to talking to multiple M and a um, firms also talked to multiple uh, financial advisors personally, and um, really thankful that we chose to go with Brightworth. They've been um, just fantastic, and and it was really important for my wife to to be able to mesh well with our financial team and and to be to all be on the same page and someone that she felt comfortable with, not just that I felt comfortable with. And so we both um, ended up uh, just. Really feeling comfortable and and um, and and thankful that we uh, chose Brightworth in the end. But there there was a lot going on, and they, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, everything was in place because we had a great team. That's yeah. what it comes down to.
1: Well, so there you go. Every, at the end of the day, so I I love it when a client calls me at seven o'clock at night, and says, "Mike, the money hit the account. It's
0: it's all good." I will never forget that feeling uh, of. Of, of that the uh, we we ended up going to lunch the next day with his, my brother Philip and I as the as the owners and Jeremiah our vice president and uh, just kind of looking back on the whole process and reminiscing and the deal was closing that morning and the money was supposed to wire through and we got back to the office and looked at our our phone and our fidelity accounts and there it was and it was It was, uh, I mean, I'm tearing up now about it because we were a family all together, Don and Mike and Annika and Nathan and just everybody for an entire year. I mean, we spent more time with them than our families. It was a long, hard process, but, you know, there it was proof at the end that everything we did, all the hard work, all the investment and everything, you know, had it all ended in how we wanted it to. And, and, um, and it, it was just a, a really amazing moment.
1: Yeah. indeed. Well, it was, it was really fun. And I know there was, there was lots of champagne bottles popping at, at various different offices and, and certainly at home. So that was all good. Yeah. Um, and so you, you, uh, you did what we encourage everybody to, to do, right? Uh, immediately ran off on vacation and, and <laughs> <laughs> enjoyed yeah. some sunshine. And then you had to come back. Michael, what's it like working or selling and then uh, transitioning and working for a public company?
0: I mean, what is, what is it like finally having a boss after years? Cause that, that's, that's kind of what it is. Um, You know, that's why the culture thing was such a big, important piece for us. And it was, you know, Philip and I, it's really difficult for a buyer to want to buy you and you guys just leave right away. And that's why it is important to have a great management team. But at the same time, Philip and I are fairly young and and we were willing to stay on for a portion of time. And so um, we wanted to make sure that it was someone Philip and I wanted to work with as well. And so uh, we, we really were blessed to have a buyer that said, look, we're not in e-commerce. We love what you guys do. But at the same time, we, we don't know anything. We don't know a lot about your business. We don't want to come in and screw it up. And we want you guys to continue to, to do what you do. We want to hold you to growth numbers and we want your business to grow. And we're going to give you the, um, you know, we, we're going to give you the support that you need and the capital that you need to do that. And that was a great scenario for Philip and I, to be able to still be involved and run the company and not have the weight of all of the heavy decisions that a business owner does, you know, has on them to run a company, not have all of that weight on us. It's actually been really freeing, a lot of freedom um, to lean on other people and, and to be with a larger company who has the legal counsel, who has all the expertise when it comes to the nitty gritty stuff of running a company. Has been great. Um, we, you know, we're currently looking for new space. It's been awesome to have a their real estate team take over the whole negotiation of the lease and all of that stuff that I would normally do. So that part's been been great. I answer to the president of the Garden Division of Central Garden and Pet. He's a great guy. We get to, we, you know, and he, he, um, I'm very lucky that there's not a lot of pressure as far as him being super involved in the day-to-day operations and do my own. So uh, this big company, like most big companies, they have a lot of meetings. So there's a lot more meetings that we're in, um, but that, you know, it's really been a great situation. They haven't changed any of our benefits for our employees or anything like that. Now, I don't think this is normal. Um, I would say it's probably not normal. Don shaking his head. Not normal. <laughs> so, not normal, and, and And I know that had we chose the, had we not stuck with the num this number one horse and gone with the number two, who, you know, Don was was uh, um, kind of keeping there in case we needed it. I know that had we had we kind of gone with our first gut when all this was happening and not leaned on Don and Mike for their expertise, like, hey, we're going to work through this, and we just gone to the second horse, it would be a different story. So again, I'm just real thankful that we were able to, to work through that process and that they kept Philip and I calm and that we had a great, you know, the, the situation has really been great for us uh, still being involved, but still having a lot of freedom to take the time and with our families. And they're a very family-oriented company. So they, they have no problems with us with the, you know, with, with taking time off and stuff like that. So it's, I don't think it's a normal situation, but it's the situation I'm in.
2: Jeremiah you know already yeah. you know, in that mode of you know without Jeremiah there'd be a lot more on yours and Philip's shoulders for sure.
0: A hundred percent and that and that's why grooming that person up and having your kind of right-hand man um, there I mean even through this process he does a he does a lot of uh, preparation for a lot of the meetings and because ultimately I think Jeremiah will be the one the president of Do My Own um, when Philip and I do exit and if you don't have a CFO, get a CFO. Right? Even if it's fractional, I mean that's that's by far the number one thing. Um, and you know, operationally, again, I, I think just having best-in-class processes. If you if there's areas of your business that you have put off investing in, that are critical areas of your business bite the bullet and invest in them and, and make them up on par with best in class. Um, because that's really at the end of the day, having people walk through for us, having a warehouse where we pack uh, customer's orders and ship them out. When those people walk in our warehouse, their eyes are like, like this, because we have um, automation in our warehouse, we have uh, proprietary pick pack and ship software on Android phones with ring scanners. And it's just really impressive technology. And had we not had any of that and just a normal shipping operation and it was messy back there and all those things, I think it would, it, we would have not had the outcome that we had. So if there's areas of your business that you've always kind of been like, I just don't want to put the money there. I think there's better places for the money, but it's kind of a, a, an, maybe a buyer would see as kind of an important piece bite the bullet and invest the money. And if you don't have the people to be over that certain segment of the business, you know, again, I think people is a big thing. Um, One thing about hiring Jeremiah for me is as a business owner, I've always tried to hire people and bring people in that know more than I do. I, you know, being comfortable that you're not the smartest person in the room is really critical if you want to grow your business and be open to things that you may not be aware of or know about. And so, you know, bringing in Jeremiah, who's just way more, way stronger than I am when it comes to spreadsheets and and getting in the numbers and data mining, you know, that was a huge strength of our business in these management presentations. You know, part of the process, we agreed to stay on for a period of five years. That's what we agreed to. Um, Philip and I both felt that, um, you know, I, I, turned 43 on Saturday, so we both, and my brother's 41. And so, you know, we both felt that five more years, uh, our wives would be ready for us maybe to be at home more, <laughs> uh, and, and that that was good timing. And, and, you know, I think central is really confident that when that happens, it's okay because you guys, your great management team is in place and, and it will continue.
1: Was the end result slash multiple better than you expected when you started the selling process? If you could turn back time, would you have done anything differently?
0: That's a great question. The multiple and where we ended up was better than what we thought going into it, um, into the process. Um, you know, COVID, look, COVID helped us. When my company, you know, we, we had extremely good growth last year because everyone was stuck at home, staring out the windows, looking at their yard and deciding now is a good time to take care of those weeds. And so, uh, you know, it, we benefited greatly. That was that was part of the reason of why the multiple and the amount was higher. Um, but there's no doubt that all the preparation and everything we talked about, being able to take the time and dedicate to, to uh, doing the, getting your books and everything ready, I think increase the multiple, having a great management team, I think helped support that multiple that the company was paying and the great technology that we have in, in systems. Um, so it, it did end up better than we thought it would going into it. Um, and what was the other part of that question?
1: If you uh, could turn back time, would you have done anything differently?
0: You know, that, that, that's why this was such, at the end of the day, such an awesome experience, because I can't think of one thing I would have done differently. Uh, there, and again, I go back to the great team around us. I, I think that they held our hands appropriately, gave us the right recommendations, and there isn't There isn't one thing that I can really identify that I would go back and say, man, could we have gotten more? Could this have changed or this particular aspect of the deal changed? I think that I'm a big believer in everything happens for a reason. I think we, we, I think we went to market at the right time for us. I think that we chose the right buyer at the end of the day. And so I wouldn't change anything differently because it's, it was, at the end of the day was a great experience. I could have done without some of the, those one, two, or three blow-ups or calls I had to make to Mike, like this deal isn't gonna happen. He just totally blew up. I could have done without that. Um but uh but really it was a great process and, and, and because of a great team.
1: Thank you very much for joining us for part two of our two-part conversation with Michael Gosling of DoMyOwn.com and Don Bravaldo of Bravaldo Capital Advisors. Please visit the Business Owner Transition Academy website at www.theowneracademy.com to learn more about educational content, online courses, valuation assessments, and consulting engagements. We look forward to seeing you next time.